You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa, the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a music and tech PR firm. We've got a couple of interviews for you this week, and uh, we're we're still coming off the Music Tectonics High from the conference we had in late October, meetups in early November in LA. And we want to bring you the winner of the Music Tectonics Swimming with Narwhals Music Tech Startup Competition that we presented in conjunction with Band Lab. Um, so at the end of the show, you'll hear from Zan Schwinn from Coral Hub, who was the winner of the Music Tectonics Startup competition. But I've got another great interview for you first. We're kicking off today's episode with Rob Bonstein, the VP of membership at HiFi. HiFi is a star of music tech in their own right, but they're also a star supporter of this year's Music Tectonics Conference, which took place earlier this year. Rob spoke at our conference and dove into some of our online events as well, and we wanted to catch up with him before too much time passed. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dimitri. Uh, great to have you here. All right. So we had your CEO, Damian Manning, on the podcast back in January of this year, 2021. And then your team partnered with us on the conference uh, in October, putting together a session called Beyond Analytics, Making Your Financial Data Actionable. And I just love how everyone on your team, when I work with you guys, is so committed to helping artists and artist teams untangle the financial side of making a li- living at music. It's it's such a mess. It's so complicated. Um, and, and listeners can actually go back and listen to that podcast with Damian from January, or they can catch the uh, the playback of your panel in the Music Tectonics app, which is, for those of you who don't know, available for free um, for now in the Apple App Store or on Google Play. So make sure to go check it out. But in a nutshell, Rob, your company, HiFi, gives members, um, their artists, that gives them access to data and insights about their multiple revenue streams in a dashboard. And it combines that with educational materials and webinars you guys are doing all the time to help these artists sort out where their income's coming from and where they may have blind spots or missed opportunities. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. You know, we're a membership organization building products and services around the goals of transparency and financial solutions for artists. Um, so that can take a lot of forms. And, and so far, that's taken the form of the Hi-Fi Royalties Dashboard, which is a, a mobile app that allows artists to centralize all their royalty income in one place, uh, as well as a number of other products and services uh, currently in development. Yeah, so when I spoke with Damien back in January, you guys were beta testing a new service called Cashflow, which allows artists to get a consistent payment like a paycheck based on past and expected revenue, revenues. Did that get rolled out more fu- fully? How's that coming along? Yeah, so you know, in 2021, we've uh, run a pilot of Cashflow, and we recently acquired a company called The Music Fund that came out of the Techstars Music Accelerator. You know, TMF had been putting money in artists' hands as well based on forecasted revenue. So between the two of us, we've uh, learned an incredible amount from our, our combined experiences. Uh, we're leveraging that and, and the, taking the technical and data science capabilities of all of our combined teams uh, to roll out the next evolution of HiFi Cashflow, which is just going to continue our mission to provide enhanced liquidity for artists. And we're just you know, really excited about, about that uh, launching soon. Got it. So what are other new service? Are there new services for your members that you guys have rolled out this year that are on the horizon as well? Well, yeah, you know, this space is, is, is wide and, and full of opportunities. You know, if you just talk to any artist manager, business manager, anyone who touches the financial life of an artist, you'll hear about all of the entangled financial, legal, 
royalty issues that uh, they need to be aware of just to get a sense of how their client's business is operating. Um, so for us, it's about editing that ambition down to focus on the most core needs of the professional tier of the music industry and expand from there. So you know, that's meant continuing to build on that foundation of the mobile Hi-Fi royalties dashboard, but also launching an expanded version for business management professionals, which is also rolling out soon. Um, and of course, we have lots, lots more in the pipeline, uh, given the space that we're in. Gotcha. So you're you're still adding more features to the dashboard itself, so people can get access to the info they they need in a timely way and get some insights from it and so forth. Adding an, uh, another element for business managers for artists too, because they probably have different needs, like multiple artists um, or other types of insights they can take away as well. Yes, many artists, uh, you know, obviously they're not conducting business from a phone the way that an artist or manager likely is almost all the time. So, you know, the needs are different. The ability to, to create a more powerful environment for them is uh, something that we're working on. Cool. Well, glad to get a little bit up to speed with you since our last interview with Damien. So how was the Music Tectonics Conf- Conference for you? I'm curious, were there any interesting takeaways from your panel or other sessions or other things you did at the conference? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, first of all, this is the I think the first conference I've attended where the initial touch point was a, a metaverse version of the conference, which was which was pretty cool. I got to jump into um, you know Deggy World uh, to watch some of the startup pitches, and I think Mark Mulligan's uh, keynote the week before the the rest of the conference started. So it was just cool to you know kind of walk around the virtual room and to see some of the familiar names that were in the audience, not just to experience what's on the screen. Um, you know, kind of have a little bit of the same serendipity that you have in an in person event. Um, and you know, nudge me to to catch up with folks or to, to email them on the side and say, hey, I caught you over here. Um, you know, let's uh, let's schedule a time to to reconnect. Um, you know, the day of my panel, I, I caught uh, Will Page and Vicky Nauman on uh, their keynote, and I love both of them. Always great to hear um, their thoughts and just overall the quality of uh, you know conversations and topics. Um, I loved you know meeting a few of the folks that I hadn't met before who were on my panel and hearing similar perspectives about you know us focused on the artist side of things uh, from people like Sarah Castleman, you know, kind of looking at things from the label perspective and how to kind of navigate the same universe, but almost the, the other side of the coin. Um, and it's challenging for everybody. And obviously that always gets, gets our, our brains going. So exciting to, to have those conversations. That's cool that you had that experience um, just because with music tectonics, we're always thinking about like the ecosystem as a whole and sure managers and labels have overlapping needs um, as it relates to compensation of artists or, or, or passing through money or, or all that kind of stuff. Um, but they're not exactly the same. So that's cool that you had the experience of sort of, you know, having both of those conversations happening at the same, same time there. Cause some of the conferences are very specific, obviously, you know, um, the meetums and the music biz have like whole ecosystem, but then you have like, you know, the A2IM indie week and, and things like that, where it's, you know, very label focused, which is great. And, and they, they have specific needs. Um, but you might not have, have as many managers in the room, for example. Yeah, no, I've always thought that the music industry is not just a handful of really big businesses and in, you know increasingly public businesses, uh, but it's actually the you know conglomeration of you know, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands or, or more small businesses, which is the artist businesses, which is what you know obviously we're really interested in and and where you know the rubber really meets the road. I think in, in terms of moving things forward creatively and, and you know building on the passion of fandom and, and everything else that really keeps things going. Yeah. Makes sense for a company like yours because 
the biggest companies are oftentimes building their own infrastructure, their own technology, and there's the smaller and the medium ones that really could use the help of, especially when they work with so many different um, like streaming services or revenue platforms or publishing administration, all, sound exchange, all of these things. It's, you know, you you almost need like this third party to, to put it all together for you. Yeah, it sounds like somebody should make a company. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, g- good point, actually. Uh, you know, we mentioned that you're the VP of membership there at HiFi. Tell us a little bit more about your role. What does that mean and, and how does that play out? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I run our membership organization and sort of advocate the perspectives and needs of artists, you know, what they're looking for from HiFi. So obviously that's the touch points with, uh, you know, with artists and, and their teams themselves, as well as working internally on all of the ways that we reflect those needs by the products that we're creating. So, you know, we say this to new members, prospective members, investors, everybody, um, you know, our roadmap is entirely informed by the needs of our membership and the drive to address you know, the most, the most pressing needs in the music industry um, with a specific focus focus on that, you know, individual artists and their immediate team. So, you know, that's our North Star. Um, you know, I've sat historically in seats between major labels, management, live touring for over 15 years. And I've seen a lot of financial information in the music industry from all those different perspectives. And artists have some of the least timely, most obscured versions of access to their own financial life. Um, you know, they're always trying to navigate extremely important business and deal decisions with imperfect information. So, you know, we're really thrilled to be working on that side of the business uh, and to be positioned there alongside the artists where I think, as you were just saying, um, you know, those are the, the size entities that, that need a true technology partner to help them, uh, you know, grow and scale. Yeah, makes tons of sense. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Rob, I want to ask you a little bit about the bigger picture conversation about artist compensation and where we are as we come to the end of the year. We'll be right back. Whoa, the ideas are flying fast on this episode. If you want to follow up on anything we're talking about today, we've made it easy. Head over to musictectonics.com and find this episode on the podcast page. You'll see show notes full of links and a timestamped roadmap of the conversation. We're not responsible for internet rabbit holes you tumble down in the process. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Okay, we are back. And Rob, like I said, I wanted to widen out a bit. You're at the center of this conversation about artist compensation. As you just said before the break, you're the one that's kind of advocating for members. How would you describe where things are for artists in late 2021 as opposed to, say, the last couple of years? Um, Has anything changed significant? Are things better? Are they worse? Where are we right now with artist compensation in that conversation? Sure. I mean, you know, we're just excited to see so many artists, you know, spreading their wings and exploring and you know, navigating so many new ways to to exist in the modern music industry. There's so many new options for artists. And that's been a trend that's been growing for the better part of you know 10 years as the world has moved to streaming. But it's just, you know, it seems like it's proliferating almost exponentially from, you know, distributors and other services, funding opportunities, content sale opportunities. Web3 powered technologies for fandom and finance. Um, you know, artists are going to continue to need a neutral, transparent, and effective partner by their side to untangle the financial side of all those things. So, you know, that obviously makes us uh, really excited. But, um, you know, the, the things that I think might be tougher for artists is, you know, they're there are more likely to be specific solutions out there that are right for an artist and for their creative business ambitions. Um, 
But that search process and navigating everything that might be coming up, the deals that might be coming on the table from new partners, traditional partners, you know, other kinds of emerging players is just more and more complicated. So, um, you know, we hear from artists all the time that have music released by three, four or five different distributors because they've been shopping it around. But if one song or one EP or one album blows up um, and they get on the right Spotify playlist, they get they blow something up on TikTok. Um, how do they react quickly to actually understand their worth? How do they evaluate the different deals that might be coming at them? Um, where are they going to be a year from now, two years from now, if they take option A or B or C? Um, you know, there's better and more options than ever before, um, but it's an even harder kind of um, landscape to navigate in. And, and I think that that's what we're uh, you know really helping provide. Yeah, sure. I mean, we've seen all these new tools come into place for distribution and then marketing and so forth, but all the revenue opportunities are very dispersed. In the old days, the dispersion was through, say, national or international marketing, and they were in stores, right? There were were lots of different stores, and you'd work through a distributor, but you'd still get one check, basically. Yeah, and new territories, but you typically get one check from each distributor. Um, you wouldn't have a zillion distributors. Um, but now um, streaming is its own entity, right? But in addition, there's these other revenue opportunities that don't have the same kind of like uh, well well traveled pathways, and so sure. <laughs> you don't you don't necessarily have the same kind of user interface experience of all these the 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 maybe it's even the 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 sync or the video games or the fitness apps or. <laughs> Wherever else this money's starting to come, NFTs and and Web three stuffs a whole other other category as well. Sure, yeah. I mean, for for you know, hearing from some people in that market, if if there's some percentage of every secondary transaction that happens uh, on an NFT or a, any other kind of exchange that's that's taking place in the future, that in itself, those two, those twenty percent, you know, fees on future transactions could become in themselves a new royalty stream for the artists to think about. Uh, right, so we have royalty streams market. on royalty streams at this point. Yeah. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, But in the big picture, I mean, it seems like the conversation has gone from this critique of the the small per stream um, payouts to, oh, now that everything's digitized, there's actually a lot of other opportunities that are that are emerging. And and, and there's other things. It's it's kind of a pain. It's very fragmented, very difficult to manage all of it. But there's new opportunities. So it seems like to me, it sounds like the timbre of the conversation has shifted a little bit over the last year. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, that there are so many new avenues to explore. And, and obviously, artists have had a difference in their ability to get out and do some of the more traditional things like touring. Um, but I think that 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 environment has created an uh, opportunity for artists to explore these new avenues to immerse themselves in these worlds of Web3. And, you know, but, but also to, to just uh, you know, get back to the basics of administration, checking and making sure they've gotten paid on all the things they're supposed to get paid on, working with their teams to, to unearth those, you know, those, those royalty payments or letters of direction that didn't somehow never got to the finish line. And, and you know, we've heard from plenty of people that they've seen substantial revenue from these traditional channels that had just been under um, underappreciated and under leveraged uh, over the last uh, handful of years. And, you know, again, that's something that connects really closely to the sort of things that, that we're looking at as well. Cool. Well, I appreciate you doing that pulse check with me. I, I love, you know, talking to people in different parts of the industry because everyone's got a different seat. They get a get a different window. And sometimes we hear similar kind of uh, insights, but from different perspectives, which actually validates the conversation in a lot of ways too. Um, so now we get to go to the future facing side, as is our tradition on the Music Tectonics podcast. Let's get sci-fi now. 
<laughs> when you imagine an ideal near future music industry, what do you see? You can get a little bit, push a little further into the vision, the imagination the, the, of the future world. Yeah, I mean, I think one one place I'll start with, and you alluded to the you know things being more digital than ever before. Obviously, that's been a, a multi decade trend at this point. But you know, one thing that we're still working towards the best ways to do this is artists being more intimately connected to their core fans. You know, knowing who they are, being able to reach them without the intermediaries that have typically made it challenging to to reach folks, whether it's you know social media giants or ticketing companies or other people who actually own or streaming companies even that sort of own that last mile relationship with the fan. Um, you know, some of these new trends are coming up with you know new ways. You know artists that are running their own discords or DAOs that are based around artists and their fandoms. Um, you know, that's a really exciting uh, trend and just artists also getting better at traditional CRM and, uh, you know, whether it's some of the, the, the mobile messaging oriented approaches or just old fashioned email, um, you know, that's something that always needs to be diligently pursued by, by artists and their teams. Yep. But also enjoying the scale and discovery that's uh, that's out there with streaming and, and, and social. Um, navigating that balance, I think, is, is something that the best artists do incredibly well. Um, you know, embracing that sort of fragmentation. Um, you know, other stuff just hopefully getting paid in a much more timely fashion that reflects the immediacy of the streaming and digital world. Um, you know, hopefully uh, understanding and collecting on all the types of royalties that people ought to be collecting on. And there's obviously a lot of folks out there um, that are trying to, to uh, you know, wave that flag from performance royalties, mechanicals and other channels that a lot of artists don't realize that they are songwriters as well as recording artists. And, um, you know, we're excited just to see that be something that you know continues to be a learning process for artists. Um, but yeah, feeling free to collaborate, sign with the right partners, sign new kinds of deals on the right terms and really just build sustainable long-term careers that, that satisfy them, you know, creatively and, and financially, um, you know, and, and obviously in, a, in an ideal world, I'm looking forward to, you know, more touring and live festivals than ever before and a, a roaring, a roaring twenties that we really, really uh, hope is you know right around the corner for artists as well. And, and you know, having come from uh, the, the touring world and most recently, uh, something that I'm quite excited to see uh, ramp back up and obviously catch some shows for the first time in a while. And, uh, and many, many more uh, soon to come. Yeah, awesome. Can't wait to see it happen. So as we wrap up this speed round, Rob, are there any other trends or companies emerging in the music industry that you'd like to shout out for their innovation? Sure. I mean, you know, mentioned Web3. So, you know, we love companies like Royal, Rally, some others, a couple that are sort of in stealth mode right now. Um, so, you know, we have some interesting collaborations uh, in the works that we'll be uh, talking more about in the in the near future. Um, I alluded to mechanicals. You know, the MLC has a huge task ahead of them rolling through uh, a very challenging landscape. But, um, you know, we loved having you know, their CEO, uh, Chris, join a member event with a bunch of HiFi folks uh, earlier this year and explain what they're up to, make sure everybody understands how to uh, to connect, to collect uh, the mechanicals that they're due. Um, also, just, you know, one that was in the news just a, a week or two ago, uh, the company Wave out of LA that just did a huge metaverse event with Justin Bieber. Um, you know, I've, I've uh, known a lot of the team there for a while and uh, just really excited to see the scale that they've been growing to with these really unique kinds of events and collaborations uh, to, to bring these new types of 
uh, you know, metaverse events to more traditional audiences, uh, things, you know, not requiring VR headsets, making it really uh, engaging for fans and exploring the, the new creative potential of those kind of events and not just, uh, not just uh, treating it as a bit of a bauble. Um, so there's a lot of really, I think, exciting stuff uh, coming in, in that metaverse uh, world as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's um, it's just wild to watch how the music space is engaging with some of this creative um, uh, virtual experience in a way that, uh, you know, the music industry couldn't really do in the moment of digital piracy, right? Of, 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 of the, the initial consumer adoption of certain technology. There just was no way to like, for, for, for labels to quickly figure out how to make that work financially. But with, with everything now being digital, now we've got this kind of a sense of how we translate rights and licensing and royalties into a, any digital format as these other digital formats emerge. It's like, oh, well, there's now we kind of have a bit of an infrastructure and a pathway and sort of expectation of what, what should be done. And so it, it does seem like it will unlock creativity where you don't feel as resistant to try things out, whether you're an artist or an artist team or, or a label or, or whatever a publisher even, if you know that every little step is unlocking revenue rather than threatening it. <laughs> sure. No, and, and I think also some of the most exciting pieces of infrastructure, which is fan infrastructure. How do you recreate that experience of meeting another kid in the back of a show wearing the same band t-shirt as you and then, you know, making a plan to go see that band and going, you know, going to a record store and getting turned on to some new music and, and sort of, uh, you know, some of those types of uh, relationships are being built online and some of that kind of fandom is you know has new places to express itself again like i said through discord and some of the web3 technologies that makes me super excited to to see what that is going to look and feel like um in the future and uh, just you know excited as you said for artists and their teams to just kind of dive in feet first and and uh and just get going with all of it Awesome. Well, cool. It's been great to catch up with you, Rob. Thanks for coming out and speaking at the conference, um, being a part of the community. Uh, love that you're balancing both this conversation about fair compensation and, and also um, just how to put all the pieces together with this future leaning like opportunities that are coming for creativity for artists as well. That's a great balance to have. Don't always hear that in the, the same conversation. So it's cool to hear your, your mindset and uh, great, great to get a chance to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being here, Rob. Absolutely. I really enjoyed being a part of the conference and enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks. Okay. We've got a little bit more from our uh, woman on the street, Tristra Year Jaeger, who you usually hear on the podcast, who interviewed some of the folks at the Music Tectonics Meetup in LA uh, this November 2021. Let's hear from her. And uh, after that, stay tuned because we've got Zan Schwinn from the Coral Hub coming up soon. May I ask, who are you? Anne Kavanaugh uh, from Stereo. So we're a streaming service for Uber and Lyft drivers to promote new music to passengers in the back of the car. Wow. Um, two key differences are all the content that we serve is new releases, and then we incentivize the drivers, i.e. the users, to actually use the service. Um, I think one of the things that we're most excited by is, you know, over the last year and a half and COVID, you know, seeing independent artists rise and becoming less dependent on the ecosystem and really understanding the value in their in themselves. So I think we're really excited to be a part of that. Awesome. Thank you so much. 
So I have one question, and I got to ask DJ, what is, what are you most excited about for 2022 when it comes to music tech? What are you most like, like wakes you up? You get up in the morning, you're like, this is awesome that this is happening finally. That kind of. I mean, I'm really excited about music tectonics. I'm really excited about coming back to the next conference. And oh, I know man. and I know that seems like a trying to suck up to you answer, but like well, you know. <laughs> this is this is one of the first conferences that I've actually been excited to attend. Really? Why? One because I'll be here in person, but two because like it actually allows me to connect with people. Yeah. It's like a 45-minute panel and then 15 minutes of speed networking. Did you meet did you meet some folks that way or? Lots of folks. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, not a lot of them are here, but it's great. It's a great kind of jumping off point I feel like you guys do a great job of, of choosing kind of um, activities that kind of make you interact with people yeah so, it's hard to yeah. it's hard to ignore somebody like it's hard to give someone the cold shoulder when like they're riding the goat next to you exactly right? yeah or like like when you have the cards that you had to like talk to other people yeah. to collect yeah yeah really that's yeah that's so that aside thank I'm you definitely for your ducked your words. question yeah Thank bought you. myself some time to answer your original <laughs> question. Um, I'm actually, I'm very excited about what we can do in the, like, live concert, like, metaverse yeah. space. Um, like, what can happen there. Like, again, going back to the conference, like, Deggy World is, is just a slice of, like, the connection and overall, yeah. like, experience you can have. I'm excited about, like, smart contracts and NFTs and how that will, like, really solidify ownership and make it easy to like collect royalties and and distribute them when necessary so and you're coming from like the, the world of lyrics yes someone at Lyricfine. what part of what aspect of that is really exciting like, what um, is, where does that go in right now well like lyrics lyrics as an nft right like yeah. that that is extremely exciting like where it can go but more so than that like it's it's about that it's about the publishing information it's about like knowing quickly who this belongs to, how we can get, you know, how they can get paid for it, where it was exhibited, where it was seen, where it was shown, and being able to do that in a in a blockchain format where it's like it's non-fungible, it's there, it's 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 solid and it's it's trust it's trustworthy. Awesome. Thank Appreciate you. it. Yeah. Okay, we are back, and I'm super excited. We're doing a bit of a, a roundup of of some things that happened, some people that popped onto the radar during the conference this year. So excited to have Zan Schwinn, the CEO of the Coral Hub, the winner of our startup competition. Welcome to the show, Zan. Thank you, Dimitri, so much for having me on the show, and also for Music Tectonics, um, the showcase what an awesome platform for what's happening in music tech right now globally. Uh, so incredible to meet other startups in the space, uh, chatting to audience members, connecting, but also just, you know, hearing what's hot right now in the industry and, you know, how fast the whole industry is uh, accelerating forward. So really cool event to participate in. Yay. And thank you. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> hey, I'm just curious. How did you first hear about the Music Tectonics Conference? So... Uh, you and I met last year through the BPI, which is a really great um, platform in the UK for the uh, the British the British f- photographic f- photographic. <laughs> I, something. I don't um, so they have all these great startup events. So you and I met. I then connected to the Music Tectonics community because you have that great app, and I think I was just kind of looped in. So I kept hearing about Music Tectonic things all throughout the year, um, and then BPI actually did a call where they said, "Hey." UK music tech startups, anybody who wants to pitch for this event, the 
competition was, you know, a great success last year, you should think about it. And so it was kind of just, I think, inevitable, just one of those top things that you should do as a UK music tech startup at the moment. Awesome. What was your experience like uh, pitching at Swimming with Narwhals? It was honestly amazing. Probably my favorite pitching. I pitch all the time. Um, We've done a couple of investment rounds. Uh, I've pitched at events before, but it was just, I mean, it says what it is on the tin, right? (laughs) Um, Just a really uh, positive, engaging community platform for you to uh, hear what's going on in a really lightweight manner. You know, there's no, what do you mean this thing isn't figured out or how come you haven't thought about this part of your model? It was just, it was such a positive experience to just, you know, get out there, share what you're doing and get a a, a response. So that seems like everything should be that way. You are just what everything else should be, I think. (laughs) But I mean, is that weird to have a pitch competition that's a little kinder, a little gentler? I think it's necessary because, you know, startup founders' journeys are hard enough um, and just... Yes, you learn so much in the scenarios where people are just asking you those hard questions over and over and over again. You feel like you're in a ring, like you're just being beat up. And yes, you come out stronger on the other side. But I do think that it's important to have platforms where people can just come and share their ideas. And even if you're not mature enough to really be pitching or winning a competition, there's no sort of, well, what do you mean you're not at this stage? You, I think that we all need that opportunity to just share what we're doing, get a response, go back home, work on it some more. Like if it's, yes, you're not going to win a competition like that, but you're going to grow because you're getting all of this response and all of this feedback on where you're at. Um, And so I think it would, I think that this sort of platform is really important for a founder's growth. And, and really I think is the better way to get more startups just, you know, I, I talk about this all the time, the top of the funnel, like how do we just get more people trying out these wild, crazy ideas, trying to fix these niche problems within the industry, you know, is just by creating a supportive environment that says, I know this is a little bit out there, but like, give it a go. And, you know, you either succeed or you fail, but we need, you know, if we can just create a space where we can have a hundred companies rather than 10 companies, you know, what an incredible place that would be it's so so cool to get that feedback from you zan because well a you're on the other side of this competition but b like when we started the competition it was sort of like well we're gonna do a music tech conference shouldn't we have a competition uh we don't want to make it like all the other ones like we don't want to we don't want to make it too complicated and too hard. We want to keep it super, super simple and super straightforward. But it's great to hear that this other benefit that I hadn't even thought about, the fact that it just has this like other culture to it is actually valuable to to the ecosystem. So that's that's super fun to hear from. What what else did you get out of p- participating in the Music Tectonics Conference beyond the startup competition? I, I mean, <laughs> what didn't I get out of it? I mean, you just, you hear about what trends are going on, you know, not just in adjacent spaces to your own, but things that, you know, never really cross my periphery. You know, I'm working in music education. And so, you know, I'm very heads down, you know, I read all the music news about what's going on, but I felt like I really got to take a deep dive into a lot of different um, topic areas that I don't usually have time to explore. So that was really cool. Awesome. That's good to hear. So um, in case anyone missed the conference, I don't know why our podcast listeners would miss the conference and miss the startup competition. But, um, you know, we do have worldwide listeners. They could have been busy with something else. Who knows? Um, tell us about Coral Hub for anybody who didn't catch the the pitch. Um, um, and also your app, Chant. How does that work? Tell us, tell us for, for folks that missed it. 
So the Choral Hub is on a mission to make music education accessible to everyone. Um, our first product is this app called Chant, which is a gaming, uh, singing app. It teaches you how to sing, uh, really focused on the gamification around building up habits over time. If you think sort of a Duolingo or neuroplasticity game like Lumosity or Peak, Elevate, where we kind of help to teach you the skills of singing uh, and music generally, um, through interactive games that hopefully encourage you to build up your confidence in your own voice, but also uh, learn a little bit about music and how it all works along the way. Cool. All right. Um, why don't you tell us what the business model is? Because um, so far, we don't know how you're going to make this thing work as a business. Not to be too like uh, too startup competition interviewer, but um, yeah, what's the business model? So, you know, at the, at the heart of this project is impact. So, you know, building out a freemium model was kind of the, in the first session when we as a leadership team were deciding what we wanted to do, we said the most important thing to us is having a free offering because that's how we're really going to get, uh, lower the barrier to entry to engaging in music to zero. So um, our business model is a freemium model. We have a premium subscription model. You know, we're in private user testing at the moment, so that'll launch um, in 2022. That, you know, there's a free curriculum that will be available to everyone forever uh, for free. And then there's a premium subscription model where you can have access to lots more music um, to help you on your learning journey, no matter which stage you're at, um, as an amateur or novice singer. And then um, there are a couple other cool kind of activity-based music packages that you can buy into. So as an example... Uh, Christmas time and you want to learn some Christmas carols, um, or if you are a grandparent and you want to learn uh, some songs to sing to your grandkids or to your pets, or if you just want to learn some songs that sound really good when you're singing in the shower, that kind of thing, um, you can kind of engage with the platform in that way as well. So we have this sort of roadmap journey in the way that you would expect, you know, very similar to these other platforms like Duolingo, but you can also just kind of dive in and say, actually, I really just want to learn this music for the specific time of year or event or activity. Super interesting, super fun. I, I I very rarely in my life said I should go take vocal lessons, but I have had moments where I was like, I wish I was a better singer, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and and exactly. I, don't, I don't have any major aspirations just because it's like I literally have my voice. I've played around with beatboxing. I, you know, I play musical instruments, but like it seems ridiculous that I don't sing, you know? So I could... Well, this is our, you know, master thesis at the Choral Hub is everyone can sing. It's a thing that used to be a communication tool, the way that we tell stories, the way that we interact with others. You know, we've done loads of research, um, lots of um, articles that you can read on our uh, blog, on our website, thechoralhub.com, about how singing is good for your mental health, social, social cohesion, you know, for brain stimulation and all have all these positive well-being effects um, and it's singing has really turned into some this greater bigger thing of something that you can or can't do and you know obviously because i'm building a singing app i'm talking to people about singing all day every day it's you know the majority of my conversations the number of times that people say to me i can't sing uh is wild like maybe 85 percent of the people that i talk to and you know so we're we we've tried to dig into the reasons why that might be true um, you know, is it a societal effect? Is it a generational thing? Is it because of mass streaming? You know, I talk a little bit about I talked a little bit about this during the competition. Is it because of mass streaming? Because of all these TV shows that say this is what defines a good singer or how we talk about singing? But at the end of the day, you know, what we're hoping at the Coral Hub 
to do is just to give people confidence in their own voice because, you know, let's say you're a guitarist and you want to sing along with yourself or you're a drummer and like you've never had the opportunity to sing or gain that confidence. You don't need to necessarily take vocal lessons, you know, maybe you just want to sing more in the shower. We're just hope I talk about this. I, I, I mean, I must sound like a crazy person, but my dream is to be walking in the grocery store and you just have somebody who's like singing to their veg that they're about to buy to cook for dinner that night, because there's just no qualms about me. Just, I'm just singing about my life. And yes, maybe that sounds like a little, a little crazy, but you know, if you think about all the times where you hear people singing, you're in the car and somebody's rocking out or those times where people aren't really caring about people judging them, Mm. the joy that it brings them, the joy that it brings you. I just think that it shouldn't be this big thing. It should just be something that everybody does because it's a communication tool that we all have. And wouldn't the world just be a better place if we all just sang more? Definitely. I mean, anytime you, you see somebody walking down the street, maybe they have headphones on and they don't think they don't think anyone can hear them. And you, it brings a smile to your face when you just see right? somebody rocking out and in, enjoying themselves. Um, Very cool. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you why you're focused on music education as a music tech startup. You don't, that's not like the first thing that we expected at the, at the competition. Um, We'll be right back. What's up, beautiful listeners. I've got a question for you. What do you want to hear next? Let me know at pages.musictectonics.com slash feedback. Suggest future guests and music tech topics you want to hear us cover and tell us how we're doing. Again, that's pages.musictectonics.com slash feedback. Look forward to hearing from you. All right, we are back. And Zan, as I said, I wanted to ask you, why are you focused on music education? Um, maybe why singing as well? How did, how did those become your focus for your startup? Impact. Uh, as I said, you know, earlier in the show is really at the heart of what we are building. And we just thought that the thing that would be the most benefit that we would enjoy the journey the most for was, you know, something that contributed to the world in a positive way. You know, my co-founder, Susie Digby, you know, she's really built her career about uh, around getting more people singing all around the UK. Um, she actually has her OBE in music education, um, which is a, you know, British award for, um, for services, essentially, um, a services award. And, you know, for me personally, I have studied music. I've been really privileged to study in, you know, some of the greatest institutions in the world. And still you have all of this lack of confidence, you know, around your own musicianship, around what sounds good around, you know, and people don't want to sing in front of you because you've been educated. And they're just there. The more that we kind of talked about the entry points to music and engaging and how could we create a better, more musical world. Music education just almost was part of the conversation without it meaning we just kind of kept coming back to it. And so how can we create the most amount of impact by trying to get everybody to participate in music in some way? Um, You know, tragically it's being music is being stripped out of schools, you know, in the U S and the UK. Um, It's such a, an important part, at least in the UK of the history of the country. Um, And, you know, you think about, you know, you hear these stories about pub songs, you know, we used to go to the pub and everybody would sing together in the pub or, you know, at football game, football matches and, you know, everybody's singing along and, you know, how do we just push the world to get back to just engaging in music in a a thing that isn't more than what it is. Um, And so I think lowering the barrier to entry 
the most intrinsic answer is through singing because you don't have to buy an instrument. You don't have to have a specific interest. It's something that we all can do. And so it's the easiest starting point. Now, there have been lots of conversations about, well, what, what does that inevitably lead into later? And I think that there are so many, and that's the whole point is that singing can lead to so many different things and can impact people's lives in so many different ways. You know, you can, whether it's just singing to yourself, whether it's singing to people around you, singing to your kids, to your pets, at events, at football matches, in the pub, you know, at Christmas time, in church, in, you know, in any place where you want to sing, you can, it's just, it's just the most intrinsic starting place for engaging in music. It's so, it's so wild to me because in a way you're talking about all the rituals of singing and music that have been around since the beginning of time, basically, right? Since, since humans evolved, I assume I, I wasn't there myself. I'm not quite that old, but, um, but, but, but what's so funny is that now you're using tech as a method to sort of bring back that sort of ritual sense, that natural organic sense of voice and, and sound and music. Um, how did you get into music? I mean, were you a singer first? Did you play instruments? Um, and then how did that get you to tech? Well, um, I, before I, I, there's just something that you said that kind of triggered another oh, yeah. thought in my head, which is, you know, why music education in the, in this space. And it, I just think that, uh, why tech for music education? And I just think tech has been so successful in so many other things. Like, you know, we're not a great innovator as far as thinking about, you know, gaming, you know, being an easy way for people to approach learning a new thing. You know, I talked about Duolingo, I talk about neuroplasticity games, but also Headspace, you know, it's just how do we guide people into building up these new habits and new skills. And so I think music education was inevitably going to happen. And so we just kind of said, how do we, how do we get, make this happen sooner? Mm, gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. What about your own personal story? How'd you get into music? So I think I've just been singing forever. I mean, I think that my parents have kind of like modulated the, the story has like evolved over time. What I, the first time that I really remember singing was there were these choir auditions. So it must have happened so much earlier, but I was seven and I said, I want to do this thing. I don't know why. I don't remember being like a singer or anything. Um, and just from there, it was just a huge snowball effect. I mm. just loved singing so much. It was something that I did all through high school. I then went to college for it, grad school. Um, it's just something that has moved me always. Singing with others has been like one of my life's greatest joys. So... So as a kid, you had curiosity. Somebody said, okay, go for it. And then that became your whole trajectory. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. And then, um, yeah. And have, have you done stuff in tech before? Is this your first startup? So my uh, adult career has really been built at the intersection of startup tech and the arts. So that's definitely been helpful, not being a first-time founder. You know, the music industry is layered in complexities when you think about licensing and models and all of these other things. And so that's been really helpful. But, you know, tech is in almost everything that we do, almost everything that we do, almost not quite everything. Um, and so it's just a really exciting place, space to be working in. And I think, you know, early on in my career, I just kind of said, <laughs> my greatest passion is 16th century choral music, which is the super, super hyper niche. And it, you know, when I was studying it in university, you know, there are people were still not really engaging in <clears throat> Facebook or Twitter or websites. You know, it was all this very in-person thing. And I just thought there's a huge opportunity here to bring this 
whole audience. And there are a bunch of people working in that space who are kind of, you know, how do we bring this thing that's very physical in person online? I just think intellectual, it's very, the, the music tech space is very intellectually stimulating at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So you mentioned your co-founder. Who, who, who is on your team? How do you divide the roles? Uh, <laughs> complicated question. So we have this, we have this awesome, huge ecosystem of people who contribute to the project. We have six, uh, really rad internal team who are, are split between, you know, myself, we have uh, someone who works in finance and operations, we have a designer who does kind of all the app uh, design and marketing materials, we have somebody in marketing, we have music, um, and we have tech dev. But we have this larger ecosystem that, you know, I still consider a core part of the team, you know, consultants who advise on UX regularly, who, you know, advise on UI, on marketing, on fundraising, on all of these key areas as a business. And I think at early stage, um, that bigger ecosystem is really how you solve all the problems, right? Building a company is hard, is so hard. Um, and so I was really keen as not a first time founder, you know, to build out that ecosystem from the very beginning to say, you know, I'm not going to be an expert in marketing and research and UX and all this. So how do I fill each of those spaces so that I can call on the experts um, for their advice, you know, when we have these stumbling blocks. So, um, yeah, really awesome, uh, extensive ecosystem working on the Coral Hub at the moment. Cool. Awesome. Before we go, we've got, I've got a couple more questions for you. Let's widen out a bit. What do you see changing in music education over the next 10 years? And how do you think it will influence the music industry? It's really two separate questions. Um, but I'm curious, just since you're you're thinking about this, this new approach to, to music education, a little bit of gamification, some tech, um, I'm curious that side of it, where you think things will go broadly for music education? And then secondly, how, how you think that'll influence the, uh, the traditional music industry? Well, I think the education space generally has changed a lot. Potentially, inevitably, it was going to go digital. The, pandef the pandemic definitely pushed that, accelerated that journey forward by, you know, who knows how many years. Um, there has been engagement in uh, education and how we learn has changed because of the internet, because of how our brains work being, you know, hyper-connected to everything all the time. And so this you know, that plus the fact that we're now pretty much moving into a hybrid model, whether or not that's going to continue in schools, but certainly from, you know, an adult perspective, you know, learning from home is something no matter who you, you know, even my 70 year old mother says, I want to learn this new skill, you know, goes on YouTube or goes on Udemy and can learn from home. And so, you know, the internet has created this access to educating yourselves in any way that you want. And so music education, I mean, you know, there are a lot of really big companies that have been successful within, you know, starting to utilize the internet and cut and global co connectivity in a really positive way. Um, so I think music education, as far as curriculum is concerned, was inevitably going to move in this direction. Um, but it's definitely a really exciting time. I think now's the time where it's starting to accelerate quickly, whether that was because of the pandemic or whether it was inevitably going to happen now anyway. When we think about access, you know, I always grew up in big cities. I've always been in big cities. But imagine you live in a rural village, you know, where you, you know, are, don't have just access to internet wherever you go. It's only when you're at home or you don't have access to a teacher or you don't have necessarily a school with a good music program or a community center with a good music program or, you know, there are all of these barriers. Um, 
educating online, creating access for just a starting point, the top of the funnel for people's learning journey. And eventually, I think each part of that funnel will be built out, right? So in the early days, you know, you have this lightweight B2C app that just kind of gets people engaging in music a little bit. But I think in the next five, 10 years, you're going to see we're going to see huge advancements globally around how people access music, learning. And I think, you know, when we talk about inevitably, how does that change the music industry? If we can get everybody engaging in music in some way, you know, not just streaming, but, you know, BandLab Technologies, who obviously sponsored the event, are doing, uh, are making huge waves within the space of how do we get, how do we make everyone a creator or encourage everyone to recognize their creator within themselves you know i think music education is the step before that and is is really what's kind of progressing in a really accelerated manner what that's going to look like in five years i don't know but i think it's a really exciting time as we become comfortable as educators become comfortable with digital and how we engage with lots of different learning types. I think that that's something else. You know, when you're in the classroom, you've got this one mode, how your one teacher teaches your classroom, you know, which doesn't always work for everyone. The internet, you know, digital accessibility gives you options to say, actually, I'm a kinesthetic learner. Actually, I'm a a visual learner, actually, and, and gives you, you know, these new options to say, what kind of learner am I? And how do I you know, adapt to this new skill that I want to learn. Um, just ease of access will mean that all the way. And I, as I said, I think that that's just going to have knock on effects to the later stages of the funnel, where then you have really comp where you're learning, you know, really complex dr- drumming techniques or performance techniques online. And the, and the, that technology is going to, is only going to grow and improve our abilities to sing together in time online is only that technology is only going to improve. So I think it's a super exciting time to be working in music education. And I think um, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to see kind of what the next five, 10 years look like, but it's definitely going to be a completely different (laughs) world, music industry generally, but you know, music education, absolutely. You know, it's interesting as you were talking, it made me think a little bit about the fact that if music learning is happening in a digital um, manner and music distribution and music marketing already is happening in a digital manner, it almost is going to be more seamless than ever before for the youngest, newest learners of music to then go straight to to the to the to quote the marketplace, um, right. which is super interesting to hear to, to to think about. I mean, you know, we already have seen this transformation of how much music is getting released, how 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 accessible it is to get your music onto the the music streaming services or live streaming or anything like that. But you know, like I grew up. Um, taking musical instrument lessons, which meant I went to somebody's house. I remember I lived in Nashville, Tennessee. I walked from my house to this uh, te- music teacher's house and took my lesson, feeling guilty that I hadn't practiced. I always practiced like the last half hour before before I had to go. It's like, well, I at least I played once this week, <laughs> you know. But you know, like the technology was like the fold out music stand. That was that was the technology. That and the instrument, yeah. you know. Um, to go from there to 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 somehow getting your music out there to the world it was a whole. It was like an entirely different skill set. But if you're learning music digitally, distribution digitally, it's just not that. You know, it's like literally on the same device or um, you know similar kind of user interfaces, things like that. It's 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 going to be transformational. Continue to be. Well, 
I think this is what, when we were talking about the exciting things that are happening, these small problems that are that are happening within the industry that are being solved by these new this new age of music tech startups is that is there are going to be companies that that are helping to solve that problem of how to move somebody from what you're talking about learning an instrument to becoming a creator. And that's the really interesting, you know, eventually, as you say, the journey is going to just be really smooth from A to B because we're all comfortable with digital learning. Um, but also, you know, and this shouldn't be overlooked, you know, within gamification, you know, there will be reasons, Dimitri, why you want to sit down and practice three times a week, you know, building up that sort of habit forming. You don't have to have a, a diligent parent who's standing over you saying, Dimitri, have you practiced your 45 minutes before you go to Diane's house or whatever it is? And you know, you have, yeah, <laughs> you, you have these other uh, modes of engagement, which encourage you to practice more, um, which actually mean left, less people are getting left behind in the mm. process because you don't have to worry about trudging in the snow, the two miles or getting or paying for the bus pass or, you know, you it's all kind of exists for what your personal development needs are. Um, or feeling ashamed that you didn't practice for that matter, right? <laughs> because it feels like a game, right? It's fun right. instead. Yeah, right. cool. Awesome. All right. This has been so fun to get you in after the conference where we've got a little bit of time to talk and, and flesh out some big ideas. Before we go, I've got one last question for you. Do you have any advice for other music tech startups that might be listening? Anything you've learned along the way that uh, you'd want them to take away from today's conversation? If you've got a wild and crazy idea, do it. Do it. I mean, ask questions, talk to people. You know, we are no longer reinventing the wheel. You may be create, you know, solving a new problem within the space, but the the music tech star early stage startups community is now huge, and so there are people who are so excited to help each other. You know, this is a uh, warm, welcoming space. You know, as Dimitri has created with the swimming with narwhals, participate in competitions like these. You know, but just go out there and and use the community in this positive way to just say, hey, I have this crazy idea. What do you think? Um, and just go for it because now is the time. Um, and it's a super exciting time to be building for music tech. So yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Zan, thanks so much for jumping into the mix with music tectonics, swimming with narwhals and coming on the podcast. I'm excited to see what you do next. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Dimitri. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.